Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Jonah, arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come before me. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. I don't even want to go. I hate it there. <laughs> if I weren't obedient, I wouldn't go. Good thing I'm spiritual. Well, great to see everyone again this weekend. We're going to continue our series of Surrender. William Sherman once famously said, war is hell. And some years later, Harry S. Truman said, peace is hell. After he helped to negotiate a surrender of World War II, he found it very difficult. What Truman was saying was, it was very difficult to assimilate back to a regular schedule, to get people back to their regular lives, and to go back to things as they were before the struggle. And here's the truth of what Truman was saying. Even after a surrender is negotiated in our lives, the struggle continues. And most of you can relate to that, can't you? That even after you have a one-time moment in your life where you surrender to the will of God, the struggle still continues. Paul said it this way in Romans 7, he said, The war rages on in me. The war between what I want to do myself and what God calls me to do through his spirit. And we talked about the story of Jonah, the story that we're looking at again this weekend, is really the story of struggle and surrender. And it's all of our stories, isn't it? Our struggle to surrender to self and to obey the will of God in our lives. And it's right in between that gap, between saying yes to God and saying yes to self, that we find ourselves every single day in our lives. And the struggle to surrender continues on. We began with Jonah chapter 1 and looking at his story of surrender by talking about the assignment that God gave to him in verses 1 and 2. God coming to him and saying, I want you to go to Nineveh, this great city, because their evil, their struggle has come up against me. And I want you, my person, that's what a prophet was, God's person on the ground to speak his word to people. I want you to go speak my word to those people. And what did Jonah say? No, I'm not going And he escapes, he runs away, and he goes to the end of the world, or at least he tries to, to get to Tarshish. But God stops him in his track with a storm and turns him around. And the scriptures tell us that God used a fish, a great fish, do you remember, to swallow him up with his grace, not to get him back, but to get him back, to be the person that he called him to be, to surrender his life to God's perfect will and plan for him. And then God brings him back to dry ground. And the word of the Lord, you remember the, the passage from last week, Jonah 3, verse 1, one of the greatest passages in all the Bible. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, what? A second time. And we talked about the fact that we worship a God of second chances. A God that doesn't give up on us, but relentlessly comes and pursues us to surrender our lives to the destiny that he's called us to live out. And it's right here, right in this story in chapter 3 that we're going to pick up again this weekend. If you have your scriptures here at Hobson 95th, I want to invite you to open them up or turn them on to Jonah chapter 3. We're going to pick up the story and we're going to finish it together this weekend, beginning in verse 2, chapter 3. 
the word of the Lord comes to Jonah a second time and says, arise and go where? To Nineveh, the original assignment. I want you to go to Nineveh, that great city, and I want you to call out the message that I tell you. Pay attention here. These aren't Jonah's words. These are God's words through Jonah to people. And that's how God works. He gives us his word, his story, his grace, his love, his mercy. He imparts it to us first, and then we impart that to other people. He says, I want you to go to that city. I want you to impart the message that I give to you. And so Jonah arose. He was obedient. And he went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh, the scriptures say here, was an exceedingly great city. In fact, it was three days wide if you were going to walk it. That's how long it would take you. And the scriptures say that Jonah got one day into the city and he called out. Here's his sermon. You ready? You ready for this great sermon? Jonah chapter 3 verse 4. Forty days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. That's a great compelling call to God, right? Forty days, and this whole thing, your whole existence, everything that you've counted on your life, your job, your family, everything is going to be turned over and overthrown. That was the message that God gave to Jonah to give to the people in Nineveh. And here's how I imagine it. There's a lot of blockbuster biblical stories that I want to rent when I get to heaven to see exactly how this played out. And I want to see the story of Jonah walking into Nineveh a day's journey in and preaching this sermon to them. And this is kind of how I imagine it because I see it almost every day in my household with three kids, eight, six, and four. Here's, here's how I imagine it. 40 days, 40 days, and God's going to come and burn this place down. 40 days, God's going to do it. He's going to come and burn this place down. This reluctant obedience, 40 days, God's going to do it. Anybody ever see that in your house? 40 days. All right, I'm going to go pick up my room. I'm going to do what you've asked me to do. I'm going to be obedient. And what does that communicate to you as a parent, grandparent, when a child obeys in this way? I don't really want to do it, but I'm going to do it, right? Here's the picture you need to see from this blockbuster biblical video here from, of Jonah preaching. He doesn't want to go still. You remember the surrender that he gave up in the belly of the fish and the surrender that he preached and prayed to God? He really isn't living that out, is he? He's kind of back to his old self. And here's, here's, here's what I want you to see from this passage. There's a difference between obedience and compliance. And you know the difference, don't you? obedience is I'm ready to go, I'm ready to listen, I'm ready to do what you've asked me to do. You know the same word in the Hebrew for obey and listen is shema. It's the same word. It means to listen and obey. It's the same thing. And for many of us, we listen, but that obedience part, mm, it really turns into I'll comply. And what you see here from Jonah is a reluctant prophet a reluctant person going and just doing what God asked him to do. And, and as I imagine it, I may be wrong, but as I imagine it and read the scriptures, he's doing the very bare minimum of what God asked him to do. But here's the amazing thing, right? God can take what you give him, even if it's reluctant and the bare minimum, and he can use it. He can multiply it and he can use it. And here was Jonah's problem. Don't miss this in the story. 
The problem for Jonah was the same problem that caused him to run away and to run away, run, run away to the end of the world, getting away from the assignment. It was that he didn't like these people. And that didn't change in his heart. And here's the reality for each one of us today. Here's a direct application from this story. The more I understand and receive the love and the grace of God in my life, what does it cause me to do? It, wants me, it, it causes me to give that love and that grace away to other people. And there's some kind of block going on here between Jonah and God. And he doesn't want to give the same grace and deliverance that he's been given. He doesn't want to give that to other people. And he is reluctantly doing the bare minimum to just comply with what God has told him to do. And here's the scenario he's set up. Don't miss it. He has categorized the Ninevites as these people. We get in a lot of trouble, friends, when we categorize people, especially the category of us and them. And us is always right. And them is always wrong. And for Jonah, he had gotten to a place where he didn't think that them deserve the grace of God. This, this, is, this is amazing. And it's amazing the parallels to our own lives. Jonah is so, uh, is so uh, much uh, of, a, of a better prophet because of what happened to him in the waters of the Mediterranean Sea. He, he's, he's in such a place in chapter 2, receiving the grace of God and understanding that. But when he gets to this place, when he gets finally to the assignment, it's like he just forgets everything that happened. And he doesn't want to give that grace to other people. And he holds on to it because he's got a problem with them. I don't know if you have a them in your life. But I can tell you this. If you've begun to categorize people, I'm not even going to get into the categories that we create for people. But there's a lot of them, aren't there? There's a whole bunch of them. And when we begin to do that, here's what we begin to, to say to God and to other people. Watch this. I'm better than you. I'm better than you. I was born in the right place. I've got the right last name. I've got the right education. I am better than you. And here's what else it causes. I don't want to share with you the most precious thing in my life. And what is that for us as believers? Jesus. I really don't want to. And this is the dark side of grace that many of us can find ourselves in when we stop receiving it daily from God and daily surrendering to him as we think somehow we've got a ticket to paradise and now I can hold on to that and I don't want to share it with anybody else. And somehow, someway, this has happened with Jonah. God has somehow gotten him to a place that he needed to be and somehow, in some way, Jonah has just dropped the ball completely. And this is what we see playing out here in the scriptures. The story continues. You want to know what the result is of this compelling message that Jonah gives? 40 days and this whole place is going to burn. You want to know what the result was? Here's the result. They believed. Jonah literally does the bare minimum to comply, not to obey, to comply with the assignment, the bare minimum to share with them the message that God had given. And what do they do? Exactly what God wanted them to do. God uses that little teeny bit that, God, that Jonah gives to him, and he uses it to create a belief in them. 
And God can use the little bit that you give to him. God can, guys, and multiply it to, for others to receive the grace and the love and the mercy of God in their lives. God can do that. That's what happens in this story. The scripture says in verse 5, the people of Nineveh believe too. God! Not, not Jonah. They believed God. They believed the message that came through Jonah. Because here's the deal. Watch this. Here's the deal. Even though Jonah's heart wasn't in the right place, he was still speaking the message of God to them, and it's the message of God through him that reached their hearts. And they believe God. And here's the, here's the amazing thing. As they believe, what does it cause them to do in the story? Look at, look at the scriptures. They, they begin to, it, the scriptures say they repent, which means, here's the, the easiest definition for repentance, is to change, to turn. They repent, they turn from their evil ways. And the scripture says that they put on sackcloth and they sit in ashes. Can you imagine that? But in those times, this was a sign of deep personal humility. In other words, what they're saying to God and to one another is, we, these are difficult words for us, right? Very profound here. We were wrong. Let's personalize it. I was wrong. Some of the greatest words you can learn in your marriage. I was wrong. Please forgive me. Why is that so hard? For the Ninevites, they hear this message from Jonah, a reluctant prophet, again, and they believe. And not only do they believe, they begin to change. And the scriptures say that the king of Nineveh, once he heard, this is amazing, all the people believe God first and foremost, and then they start to repent. They, they start to show outwardly that, that they want to repent and that they were wrong. And then the king hears about it. It starts with the people first. This isn't a proclamation from the king down to the people saying, you have to believe in God, you have to do these things. No, this starts with the people all the people begin to change. And then the king of the Ninevites, he hears about this. And he issues a proclamation. He says, every single person and every single animal should fast. You shouldn't drink or eat anything. And you should show a deep sense of humility. And maybe, just maybe, look at verse 9, chapter 3. Maybe, who knows, if God will relent and turn his anger from us. Here's the deal. Everyone watch this right here. When we repent... God relents every single time. And for the Ninevites, they repented. They, what's the word mean? They turned. They changed. And God relents. He turns his anger away from them. It worked. The assignment that God gave Jonah right at the beginning of the story, it worked. God used him. But what about our man Jonah? Where is he in all of this? I have a pastor friend who uh, his daughter was dating a guy that he didn't like at all. Believe it or not, pastors feel that way sometimes too. He didn't like this guy at all. And he just felt like he was trouble and he, he didn't have a relationship with God yet. And he just felt like this was not the right person for his baby girl. And I'm in a great situation because both of my daughters, four and six, have promised me that they will never get married. And so this doesn't apply to me. But for this guy, this poor guy, his daughter is dating this guy that, that he can't stand. And then one day in church, this is the story he told me. One day at church, he sees this young man coming down the aisle. And here's what was in his heart. This is over lunch. He tells me, he goes, 
Oh, no. Get the picture? I mean, it's like, I want you to come to Jesus, and I want your life to change, and I believe in this message, but I'm so reluctant right now because I don't really like you. And really, it, this is exactly, these were his words. He said, you know what I thought when he was walking down He said, I'm so embarrassed, and I'm so ashamed that I thought this. I thought, dang. Oh, God. Guess what the response of Jonah was? Go to chapter 4. Follow with me. You get the picture? God's done exactly what he says he was going to do. He used Jonah. The people of Nineveh changed. They repented. God, God relents. And here's Jonah's response. Chapter 4, verse, beginning in verse 1. It displeased Jonah exceedingly. And he was very angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, this is basic, I'm paraphrasing. This is basically what it said. You can read along. I, I told you so. I told you this was going to happen, God. Even though I preached the worst sermon anyone's ever preached in the world, I told you this was going to happen because you still used it to give your message to them, even though I was reluctant. And this is the whole reason why. He starts justifying his behavior. Anybody done that before with God? He says, this is the reason why I ran away. This is the whole reason why I went to Tarshish, because I knew, and here's like these great theological statements about God, but he doesn't really even mean it in in a great way. He says, I knew you were a gracious God. I knew you were merciful. I knew you were slow to anger. I knew you were abounding in steadfast love. I knew that you would relent from disaster. I mean, these five statements about God that we go, yes, 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 yes. And Jonah's going, no, no, no. I don't want you to behave that way to who? Those people. I want you to behave that way towards me. When I'm in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea, I want you to be slow to anger and merciful and loving and gracious and kind and relenting. But I don't want you to be that way to that person. Because they're, well, you know. (laughs) He's saying, I I didn't want you to do this, God. But I told you that if I was faithful to do what you told me to do, that you would be faithful to, to be who you are to them. And you've done it now, God. And here's what he says. I'm not making this up. Follow along the story with me. He says, therefore, Lord, because you're these five things, you're gracious, you're merciful, you're slow to anger, you're abounding in love, you relent from disaster. Because you're those five things, kill me. I'm serious. This is what he says. He's so angry with God that he says, I want you to take my life, for it's better for me to die than to live. Now, I'm just going to tell you, that's some resentment. That is some pent-up resentment. And he's just letting it all spill out before God here. I did not want you to behave like you did towards me, towards other people, particularly these people. So it's better for me just to to die. And here's the question that God asked Jonah. And you know what? I think it's a question that he would ask every single one of us tonight through his word. Are you ready for it? Jonah, do you do well to be angry? Do you do well to be angry in your life? You don't need to raise your hand right now, but any of you struggle with anger? How many times, you know, in my life that I've gotten angry? There's not many and I don't know if you can relate to this, that I would look back and go, that was a good moment. (laughs) 
you know, I got really angry, and I'm really proud of the way I behaved. You know, if I had to do that over again, I'd do it exactly the same way. But, but, but you know how many times I've, after everything's cooled off and I'm, you know, the RPMs start coming down, I go, oh, that was dumb. I sh- how could I say that? How could I behave that way? Here's what God's saying to Jonah. Jonah, do you do well to be angry in your life? Do you do well to be angry at this? Is this really something to get angry over, Jonah? And the answer, you know, on his tiptoes is no. But here's how it's, it continues. Jonah, remember the walk? 40 days, this place is going to burn. And here he goes. Here, verse 5, follow along with me. Walks himself right out of the city. This pouty little walk again. And he sets up right outside the city, the scripture says in chapter 4. And he sets up a little tent there. And he's looking at the city. And you know what he's waiting for? He's waiting for the, the cloud of smoke. I'm not kidding. What Jonah's waiting for is the judgment of God on Nineveh. He doesn't realize now that God's relented. Literally what he's waiting for is like when you watch the atomic bomb testing. He's, he's sitting outside the city waiting for, where's the fire? When is this place going to be destroyed? This is amazing, the resentment and anger that's built up in this guy. He's wanting these people to be destroyed. And here's the amazing thing. As he's sitting there in his little spot, looking over the city, waiting for it to be destroyed, who comes to Jonah? God does. And the scriptures say here that God appoints a plant. This is amazing. God appoints a plant and makes it come up over Jonah so that there may be shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. Let me stop right there. Here's the amazing thing. Jonah wants to be saved from his discomfort, but he doesn't want other people to be saved from hell. Ouch. You want to know how many of my prayers are to be saved from my discomfort? And I'm ashamed at the amount of prayers that I have for people to be saved from hell. When I stack those two up beside each other, one should greatly outweigh the other. Jonah wants to be saved from his discomfort, but he doesn't care if all these people perish and die. At all. That's his attitude. And yet in that moment, God plants a plant to come over him to bring him shade just to give him comfort so he can pout. And that's the graciousness of God to him. And it says here that Jonah was glad because of what? Not because the people repented. Not because God used him. Not because he was faithful to his assignment. What was he glad for? The plant that brings him temporary comfort. That's what he was glad about. But then dawn came, the scripture says, the next day, and God appointed a worm. And it attacked the plant. And it withered. And when the sun rose up, a scorching east wind, and the the east part of that area was the desert. So here comes this desert wind and this scorching sun. And here comes Jonah again, and he says, God, would you allow me to what? Die. For it is better for me to die than to live. And God says to Jonah again, here's our question, second time, verse 9. God asks you twice, you better listen. You should listen the first time. If he asks you the second time, you should really, 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 really listen. And God says to Jonah, do you do well to be angry, Jonah? I'm trying to, I'm trying to get your attention. Does this serve you well? Your attitude, your posture, the way you're behaving, does this serve you well? 
Is this really good for you to behave this way, Jonah? In other words, Jonah, stop acting like this. Stop acting like a child. Grow up, Jonah. Be the person I've called you to be. Stop choosing self and start choosing me. Do you do well to behave this way, to be angry, Jonah? And Jonah says this. Here's his answer. You ready for a really biblical, godly answer from our prophet Jonah here? Yes, I do well to be angry, God. Yes, I do. I mean, you can just see, he is in full, he's, he's having a, a full-on hissy fit with God. Yes, I do well to be angry. I'm angry, angry enough to die. And God says to him, did you plant the plant? Did you have anything to do with any of this? And yet it dies and you say this. It's amazing what you care about, Jonah, and it's amazing what you, what? What you don't care about. This is crazy. The first time God comes to Jonah and says, this is what I want you to do, what does he do? He runs. The second time that God gives him a second chance to go and fulfill his assignment and do what he's calling him to do, what does he do? He pouts. And what do we remember this story for? The fish. What should we remember this story for? You know, we're amazed at the fish. We're not amazed at Jonah's response. And you want to know why? I know for me, because I can relate. I'm ashamed to say that, but I can relate to how he's behaving. I've behaved like a child before. I've been resentful before. I've been angry before. Anybody with me? I I can relate to that. And so I read that story and I go, the the fish thing is is amazing. This, eh, I get it. Yeah, I've been there. It's so common to us, but it's amazing what Jonah doesn't care about and what he does care about. Let me just say this about anger very, very quickly. For those of you who struggle with anger, Listen to the question that God's asking Jonah and apply it to your life and your situation, your circumstance that's causing the angry. Do do you do well to be angry about this? Honestly, ask yourself that. And here's the reality, guys. Most of the time, anger is directly linked to control. I found that in my life. The things that I get the angriest about are the things that I feel most out of control with. I can't control this. You know, I didn't think I was an angry person until we had children. And now I realize I'm an angry person. And here's the reality. You don't, you don't know why? I'm serious. It's because I can't control someone with their own volition and free will. I can't. I can influence them. I can encourage them. I can provide structure. I can't control them. I can't. And when I try to control another person or a circumstance that only God can control, I'm going to find myself being a very angry person. I try to control God's will. I, I try to control what, how he works. I'm going to find myself being very resentful and very angry. And that's exactly where we find our prophet Jonah here. No human can stand the weight of trying to be God. You know what I've found for myself and other people? We make lousy gods. When I put myself on the throne of God where only he belongs... I let myself down every time. When I put somebody else on the throne of God, I, they let me down every single time. It's 100%. The throne of God is not a two-seater. It only belongs to him. And Jonah's got that all mixed up here. He thinks he's in control and that he can control God, and he just can't. And here's the amazing thing, right? The sailors repent. The captain repents. 
The king of the Ninevites repent. The entire city of Nineveh repents. The plant obeys. The fish obeys. The worm obeys. The wind obeys. And who's the only one here in the story not obeying? The prophet of God. And here's how the story ends. Are you ready? This is not a Hollywood made for TV. Maybe it is, but it doesn't have a Hollywood ending. Here's the end. We're watching this play, right? And we've been going through this series for three weeks. Here's how the story ends for Jonah. It's with him standing right in the middle of the stage with his finger towards God, a scowl on his face saying, I told you so, God. And the curtain drops. And you think, how could that be the end of the story? Here's the reality, friends. It's not the end of God's story. It's the end of Jonah's story. God's story continues. Look at verse 11. Should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left hand and also much cattle? The reason why he adds cattle there is you're so concerned about plants. You're so concerned about different things. Should you not be concerned about people? You're more concerned about a plant than you are people. You're more concerned about seemingly animals than you are these people. And here's the deal. This is a very elementary principle right from this story for every single one of us. But it's something we need to understand as we conclude this. God loves people more than anything else. God loves people. There's not a person in this room, there's not a person on this planet that God did not create. There's not a person walking right now. There's not a person that has air in their lungs that God doesn't want to come into a living relationship with him. There's just not. And God will do anything to bring that about. That's what God wants to do. God loves people. And here's the amazing thing about this story as we finish it. God goes after Jonah with what? Grace. And who does he go after the Ninevites with? Grace. God goes after the self-righteous Jonah and the self-indulgent Ninevites with his grace. It's the same thing. Let me put it another way, okay, if I could. God goes after church people and non-church people with grace. Grace, grace, grace. It's not just to save me, it's to sanctify me. Every single day amazing grace. And God is faithful to go after both groups of people pagans and the godly prophet with his grace because that's what people need second peter 3 9 says it this way the lord is not slow to fulfill his promises as some of you count slowness but he is faithful he's not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance a turn a change he doesn't want people to perish And sometimes that might mean us being uncomfortable so that someone else doesn't have to spend eternity in hell. Can I say it that bluntly? And a lot of times I'm much more concerned with my comfort and being saved from discomfort than I am helping to work with God and partner with him to save people from hell. That's what happens here with Jonah, and it can happen to us in a moment. But here's the good news for every single one of us when it comes to surrender. And in paralleling our stories with Jonah, because here's my suspicion. 
as I've been studying this the last three weeks, and hopefully as you've been reading along, and I would encourage you to continue to read this story, I find so many parallels from Jonah's story and my story. I find myself, guys, right in the middle here between I want to say yes to myself so badly, but I also want to say yes to God. What Paul said, I just struggle. The struggle to surrender continues in my life. And here's the great news. The one who knows you the best loves you the most. The one who knows every single thing about you, even that thing you haven't told anybody else. The one who knows it all, guys, loves you the best. He loves you more than anybody else. You are an object of his love. And he is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That's the work of God. That's the story of Jonah, God going after people. Greg Lowry says it this way. God wants to reach people who need him with people who know him. And he wants us to do it willingly, joyfully, surrendering ourselves to the will of God first in our lives and then seeing that happen joyfully in the lives of other people around us. Here's the bottom line for today and for the entire series again. Surrender to God is difficult because surrendering to God means disobeying ourselves. To obey God means to disobey ourselves completely. And this is what surrender truly is, to say yes to God and to say no to ourselves. But dear friends, it's what God calls every single one of us to to surrender. And here's the deal, right? As you surrender to God every single day to his will and not your will, as you disobey yourself to obey him, it's for your good and it's for his glory. Here, near, and far. To him alone be the glory. Let's pray together. God, thank you for knowing us best and loving us most. Thank you for your sweet grace to us. Thank you that when we're self-righteous, you don't give up on us. Thank you that when we're self-indulgent, you don't give up on us. That your love never fails for us. I pray that each one of us daily would surrender to your will and your love in our lives. And I pray that you would give us a vision. You would give us a passion for the other people around us who need to surrender to the same. You are the God of our lives and you are the God of this city, this nation, this world. Give us a passion, God, to see your glory fill this world. In Jesus' name, amen.